Amen. How many know you got a purpose and a destiny? Make some noise. Come on. You excited to be in church today? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Joe Irostic, your friendly neighborhood pastor, just in case you don't know who I be. I want to let you know that right now we have six of our members in New Orleans for the craziest party in America, Mardi Gras. I went to Bible college in New Orleans, and then the Bible college moved to California and brought extension sites across America through the Internet. We host one of those college extension sites. And so right now, there's about 400 students from across the country and some from around the world because our sites are now going to the Philippines and other places, and they are literally preaching at Mardi Gras. Believe it or not, I have preached there 12 different times. So I've, I've bought the shirt, been there, done that, and it is a wild, wild place. And I'll tell you what, we need to keep them in our prayers because Mardi Gras stands for Fat Tuesday. That's what it means in French. And so that goes all the way through the weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, today, Monday, Monday Gras, Monday Gras, and then tomorrow, Fat Tuesday. And so, uh, you know, the day after that. And so let's keep them in our prayers. And I was watching one of my friends, Juan Gonzalez, my best friend from Bible college, and he was doing a live feed out there before it gets too wild. These guys go out uh, in the day and a little bit of the evening because when the sun goes down 10, 11, I mean, it gets wild. So our guys usually pull off a little bit before then. But anyways, he's showing us a little bit of what's going on out there. And I want you to watch this for a little bit. I don't want to say too much here, but watch when Joe B., one of our guys, gets on the, the video here. I mean, this guy is red hot preaching. This is one of our own. So uh, let's watch them in Mardi Gras right here. Go ahead. We're here live right now, and our students are in the thick of it. We're excited, man. We got over 300 students, 400 students plus, and uh, we're excited. Just tell you what it's, what's, what's going on, man. This thing is popping big. Check this out. It's going down, Timothy. Come on down, bro. Be a part of what God's doing. Let's do this, bro. I'm going to show you a couple of engagements from our students. Watch this. Watch how these guys are engaging. Watch, watch this. At least we don't break. At least we don't kill. They were saying that. He didn't call the sinner, right? Who was doing all these things. The child of the he called the lost sheep that needs a shepherd, right? And you know what? That kind of message, they repented and they stopped sinning. The prostitute stopped sinning. The drunkard stopped sinning. All those people stop sinning. The religious person, what they do? They kept saying, at least we're not as bad as them. So, if you're going to live that self-righteous life, do Jesus, you know what he's going to call you? A slave to the devil. And you know what that means? A slave has a master, right? And it's not like Jesus is going to be like, hey, listen, I hate you specifically. 
That's how with you guys are doing it, man. These guys are fired up. Watch this. Here's another team. Watch. That's how our students are doing it. These guys are engaged left and right. These guys are engaged left and right. Check this out. Amen. Let's give it up for our teams in Mardi Gras. But how many of y'all notice just a slight difference when they put it on our guy? Amen. How many know he was getting it on? I mean, I'm not saying like that other people ain't preaching either because, you know, you don't know what part of the conversation they're in. But it's just almost like the, the, the camera's going around and people are like, the other team's like, hey, how are you doing? My name's Bob. What's your name? Oh, you like this? And then like it goes around to our guy. Let me tell you about sin. Let me tell you about the devil. Let me tell you where you'll go. You'll be a slave. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is like radical. I love it. Because that's the gospel. The gospel, you have to tell people that stuff. Amen? We're not mad at people. We're not mad. We don't want people to go to hell like my wife. Hell yes. We don't want hell. No, 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 no. But if it helps you to understand that there's a penalty, there's a justice, there's a judgment. Amen? We will talk about those things. But let us just pray right now. Father, we lift up the teams that are there. There's probably about 3,000 Christians, if not more, all together in New Orleans preaching from all different churches, Father, all around the country. We pray you bless them right now as they're celebrating the Lord's Day together in the various churches that they're meeting in before they go back out. Let today today be a day of rest. Refresh their soul and their spirits, oh God. And uh, as I know from being there, God, this is when everything starts to get really wild now, Lord. And I just pray you guard their heart, guard their eyes, keep them safe from any violence out there, Father God. And then most importantly, we pray for souls, Father God, for tourists to get saved, locals to get saved, God. Literally, Lord, we want to see revival break out there, God, for bars and strip joints to close down, Father God, for people that were uh, doing sex trafficking, God, to get set free, Father God, for, for your gospel, Lord, to go forth in power in New Orleans right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, knowledge for Jesus, knowledge for Jesus, and say amen if you believe it. Praise God. Amen. Well, I'm glad that you're here today where the gospel's being preached in your midst. We're in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. It has been blessing me. Anybody else blessed by the book of Ephesians? Amen. Just taking it in. This week, I was on my bike, and I put on the book of Ephesians audio, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to listen to it. But uh, it was such a cold day. This was yesterday, as a matter of fact. I had two layers of gloves, and usually I can manipulate my phone while I'm doing a thing, but no, like these gloves are like huge, like Eskimo gloves. So Ephesians started and it just ran right through Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy. I literally listened to almost all the letters by Paul just on that ride. But there's something special about the book of Ephesians, something that Paul was inspired by to teach us about our identity and our relationship with Christ. Every book is inspired, but this book has a special encouragement for you and I today if you want to know who God says you are, what God thinks about you. There is no other book. I trust me. I've listened to them. I've read them many, many times. There's no other book that starts off the way Ephesians does. And so we're in verse 1 right now. Everybody say verse 1. 
We're still here. We got the fifth one coming next week of verse one, but we are going to preach the entire book of Ephesians this year. The series is called In Him, and today we're going to talk about the faithful. Somebody say the faithful. Amen. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to hear what Paul says to this church. The church of Ephesus is who he's writing to, hence the name Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ. Let's say it again. One, two, three. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Thank you. And so today what I want to talk about is being faithful in Christ. All of us that are here today want to finish our race. You do not want to hear on Judgment Day from the Lord, depart from me, for I never knew you. Right? Nobody wants to hear that. Now, most of us, we're here today because we already have a measure of faith. Now, the Bible talks about there being a certain kind of person that has no faith. And you've met them. They're sassy. They're a little ornery. You may have a coworker like that, a family member. And Jesus still loves them and has a plan for their life. God is not handpicking who gets to come into heaven and who doesn't. On Judgment Day, C.S. Lewis said it like this. Those that come into heaven and are rewarded with eternal life, Jesus will say to them, I am bringing you in. Well done, my good and faithful servant, because you said to me, not my will be done, Jesus, but your will. So we don't get into heaven by our works and doing a bunch of religious things. We get into heaven when we submit our will to Jesus. That's what salvation is, is a submitting of our will to Jesus. Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden starting off the, uh, the treason, the rebellion against God. Humanity born in that same state. Jesus comes to die on the cross as a man so man's sins can be forgiven. And now all of us can freely make that choice to continue in Adam and Eve's rebellion rebellion with the traitor Satan or to side ourselves with Jesus Christ, the God-man. How many of you are on Jesus' side? Amen? We're on Jesus' side. So you decide whose side you're on. So C.S. Lewis said it like this. On Judgment Day, God is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest and receive your reward to those who said to him, not my will be done, Jesus, but your will be done. Then C.S. Lewis said to those that he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You were a worker of iniquity. You were someone that was doing wicked. And C.S. Lewis said, it's like he's going to say to them, you said to me, not my will be done, but your will be done. So that person who stares at God on judgment day will go to hell because they said, God, I don't want your will to be done. I want mine to be done. I want to be in charge. I'm the boss. This is my life. I make the choices. Does everybody see the difference there? What we would say is the dichotomy, the cutting of two options there. You can't have both. It's one or the other. The one who surrenders their life to Jesus, that's what it means to confess Jesus as Lord, as Romans talks about, is the one who is saved, born again. The one who stands in their own self-righteousness, the one who stands in a different religion, the one who stands and denies their sin, 
those remain under the wrath of God. Now, when Paul is writing this letter, he is writing to people who are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's saying, you are this now. Right now, you are faithful. How many of you would say, I'm faithful? Come on, how many of you are the faithful in Christ Jesus right now? That because of what Jesus did, you committed your life to him. He didn't force you. He didn't make you. You were deciding in your own heart who you would serve. As my wife was preaching before, and you knew you were done serving the devil, yourself, the flesh, the pattern of this world, and you said, I'm following Jesus. How many of y'all did that? And the moment you did, you felt something change on the inside of you, right? You had a confirmation, a witness, a marking of the Holy Spirit. You knew that you knew on the inside of you, in the knower, what our Pentecostal uh, preachers used to tell us, in the knower, do you know that you know, you know, that you're saved and sanctified, you know. You knew it because there was a witness of the Holy Spirit. And so this is something that in the introduction, we may just quickly read through and just go, okay, he's writing to these people and he's saying they're faithful. Let's just get on with the, the letter here. But we're not putting ourselves in their shoes. Who were these people of Ephesus? What price did they have to pay to become a Christian? Was it easy for them? Was everybody applauding when they got baptized and decided to follow Jesus? Or were they in a community that actually hated Jesus? Were they in a place that the moment they decided to serve Jesus, they became an outsider. They became persecuted. And as you'll see and when we look at their story, that's where they came from. So if you're sitting here today going, I'm faithful in Jesus. I want to finish the race, of course, by his grace and strength. But you may be facing troubles and trials today. You can be encouraged by their testimonies. Paul was their pastor, and Paul was there when they got saved. And let's go now into the book of Acts to see the story of their salvation, and then we'll learn all these wonderful things about faith. Let's go to Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Acts is the historical account of the life of the apostles. That's literally what the word Acts means, Acts of the apostles. And apostles write epistles. So if you want to know what's happening in the epistle, the letter to the church of Ephesus, go back to the history book, go back to Acts, and see what Acts were happening there. What was God doing in those wonderful people's lives? Acts chapter 19. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, and what books do we have named after Corinth? Corinthians, first and second Corinthians. That's right. So we're jumping right into Paul's journey here. Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at what? Ephesus. What book are we studying this year? Ephesians. You're right on track now, aren't you? Isn't this exciting? The Bible's coming alive, right? Does anybody else get excited? I challenge some of you who have been a Christian for a while, if you've never done it, do a reading through the chronological order of the Bible. I did that one time where it will actually stop as you're reading the different books of the Bible and interject all the things that happen at that time. It's really cool in the Old Testament to see how the prophets interact with the kings and the historical books there, uh, the Psalms interacting with David's life throughout First and Second Samuel, and it's the same thing when you get to the New Testament. As you're reading through the book of Acts, it will stop 
up and start showing you the letters and the things that are happening in other parts of the Bible. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Remember, it's a big city, fourth largest city in Rome. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And we'll learn some of these Greek words in just a moment. They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So at this point, Paul sees that there's some disciples there of John the Baptist. That means John's message had been getting spread around the world. John was preaching in Jerusalem around the same time Jesus was, but he got beheaded before Jesus got crucified. So Paul is going to preach the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus, you know, believe in his name. And these guys are like, we're disciples, but we haven't heard much more about it since John preached to us. So now he's going to fill in the blanks. And he goes in verse 4, Paul said to them, "Uh, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe. Everybody say believe. Thank you. And the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. When Paul placed their ha- his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, amen, and prophesied. And there was about 12 men in all. Now, that's the beginning of Paul's journey. So Paul's coming into this city. He meets these disciples of John, and he keeps on going. Now he's going to go to a Jewish synagogue, and he starts boldly speaking there for three months, aggressively arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. How many think Paul was a good preacher? Amen. But he didn't rely upon his own talent. He relied upon the Holy Spirit, and he was persistent in his preaching. As the pastors would teach us in Bible college, preach, pray, and plug away. Amen. But some of them became obstinate. These Jewish people that he went to preach to in the synagogue, they got angry. They said, we don't want to believe in Jesus. We prefer our traditions over Jesus. We want to keep doing what Moses did. And they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. And that's what they called Christians. Everybody say the way. Thank you. They publicly started putting it down, going into the town square saying, hey, stay away from Paul. Paul's crazy. Don't listen to him. Don't be a Christian. Don't follow this Jesus guy. They think he raised from the dead, walked on water, is going to come back and judge the world, died on the cross for our sins. They called it foolishness. And they maligned the way publicly. So Paul left them. He's like, okay, I'm going to go on and preach. Somebody wants to hear it. He took the disciples with him. And who are the ones he's taking with him? He's taking with him uh, the ones that were John's disciples. So he's got a good following, you know. He's got some people that are willing to ride to die, you know. And they're not going to give up on this. But he took them with him and had a discussion in, uh, daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. Now, that doesn't sound like a Jewish synagogue, doesn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't sound Jewish. Do you know why? Because it's pagan. So he goes to the Jewish people first. He tells them the gospel. They get obstinate. Now he says, I'm going to rent out a hall in the heart of this pagan city. And if you guys remember about Ephesus, it had the seventh wonder of the ancient world, which was the temple for the goddess Diana, also known as Artemis. This is big business for them. In their day and age, it would be like their Disney world. This is huge, a huge temple. And for a pagan goddess, it involved temple prostitution. So he was like a Mardi Gras, a Las Vegas strip, and a sightseeing place all in one. And they didn't think anything about it. That was normal to them in their religion, the pagan Romans. And isn't that something they're imitating that even now in Mardi Gras? Those parades, you know, I was raised in the Midwest like most of you. I'd never seen stuff like that. You know, you go to a parade, you see like the insurance company come by, you know, and they're doing something. Not in New Orleans. No, that God of Bacchus will come by, a big bull, 
you know, a big a character of a big bowl with gold medallions around it and then throwing off these statues and idols. I'm telling you, it's, it's a full-on imitation of, of, of paganism back then. So he rents out this hall. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks, those were the pagans, the people who were not of the Jewish background, who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. So he had boldness to go to these people. Now watch this. This is amazing. Paul did extraordinary, or God did rather, uh, of course it's always God, he, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even his handkerchiefs and a- aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And let me say this, if you ever see somebody selling these for $5.99 plus shipping and handling on TV, don't buy it, okay? This is what they're going to try to use, but they ain't no Paul, folks. They're not Paul. Do not buy that holy rag, and you put it under your pillow, and you're going to be better, you know? And every now and then, I'll get on that Spanish channel, and I see them selling some saint, too, right? Some saint medallion. Well, don't fall for any of that nonsense. Some Jews who had went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Jesus uh, just like Paul was doing because God, God was using even the handkerchiefs and aprons to heal the sick and devil, uh, evil spirits were, were being cast out. And so the Jewish people of that day, they said, oh, we can do that too. So they tried to go and get a demon-possessed man, and they said, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And they were known as the seven sons of Sceva, but, but let's just see what happened to them. On one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them and gave them a butt whooping right here, gave them such a beating that they ran out the house naked and bleeding. Come on, you're getting beat up by a demon-possessed man. That's a bad day in your synagogue. That's a bad day for you. But they tried to, you know, they were getting a little jealous, you know. Hey, we, we, were, we were saying this Paul stuff is dumb. We don't want Christianity, but now we're seeing miracles, and we want to try to do an exorcism ourselves. and they go for it, and it doesn't go so good. Now look at verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. So now this story gets spread around like, hey, man, uh, this is real deal. Demons are getting cast out, and when other people tried to do it, it didn't work. They got beat up, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. This is, this is awesome. About two years into this, God is really moving among the people. Many of those who had believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. Now they come out into the public, and they go, hey, we're going to tell you what we've been doing. We're not good Ephesian people. Uh, we're not good moral people. We're going to start telling you the things that we know that God says is wrong. And they started doing this publicly. It was like it was okay until they went public with their faith. But they go out and they, they take all their, their magical things. Look at this. A number who had practiced magical sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them in public. So they're taking literally what the people of that day are looking up to and thinking are awesome. And they go to the middle of their town square publicly and and start burning it in front of everybody, saying, Satanas, Satanas, you know, that's the devil. I don't want that anymore. When they calculate, let this blow your mind, because if you're just thinking there's just a couple people burning some old ACDC or some future CDs or whatever, no, you don't get this. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which the ESV study Bible says that's $6 million in today's cash. 
That was that, that's how many of them were saved. And that's how much of the stuff they were burning. Imagine you deleting all of those songs off your iPod that you spent all that money on, deleting all of those movies that you used to watch, deleting all those subscriptions to those places or, or, or to those uh, magazines or movies, uh, places that you were on, or pornography, all of this. That's what they're giving up for Jesus. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Some may say the faithful. But after this happened, look what's, look what's see, let's see what happened here. After this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. So he just goes just for a minute, passing through Macedonia and Archaea. He says, after I've been there, he said, I must go to Rome. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. And about that time, so right when Paul goes away and he comes back from this trip, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines for Artemis brought in a lot of business from the, being a craftsman there. He called them together along with the workers in the related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we received a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. How many would say amen to that? This would be like all the strip joints of Bourbon Street getting together. And by the way, my friends have in their church former strippers they used to witness to on Bourbon Street because they'll stand out there, show off a little bit of their goods to get you to go in. They would witness to them, and now they're saved. God can save anyone. Amen. And so these guys are upset. These bar owners, uh, you know, of that day, these pagan guys who are making these statues, they're upset. And they said, this is a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. See, my question to you is, will you be faithful even when it costs you something? So you just skip right through verse 1, and you don't understand what it costs these men and women to be faithful. You're about ready to watch a riot happen in their city. You're about ready to watch people get beaten in the name of that false religion because these people were Christians. And Paul's writing them to the faithful, to those of you who didn't give up, to those of you who are still going to church. For those of you who are still raising your hands, you're not ashamed. I'm writing to you today. I want to talk to somebody today. God knows what you're going through. God knows that he's given you the strength to get through it. He's just asking you to trust him. Be faithful. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar, hundreds of thousands possibly. The people seized Gaius and Archytas, Archytas uh, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them were rushed into the theater together. How many people could fit in that theater? About 15,000, if you remember our, our back history of this. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the other disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him, don't go into the theater, man. Don't go there. It would be literally... Like a city of Chicago size, 100,000 rioting downtown and them grabbing Juan and them grabbing Marcel and dragging them into the United Center saying, what do we do with these Christians? They said, Paul, and they'd be like, me, let me in there, let me in there. And everybody's like, don't go in there. It's not going to help. It's not going to help. That's what's going on. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. How many know that's part of the problem? How many know people still to this day don't even know why they're there? You know, protesting against everything and anything, you know. It's like, what are we even protesting against this time? Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. That's the truth of humanity. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front. 
They shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So they try to bring Alexander in front of them, kind of like a, a Jewish Christian believer, try to help out. Then, then these pagans realize, you're not one of us. You're a Jew. We don't like you either. Come on, how many know about this? This is real deal. Racism, false religion, you know, protesting and tearing things apart. We know about this in our culture. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven, which we know that's a lie. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and do not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro-counsels. So it's like, hey, take them to court if, they, if they've done you wrong. Otherwise, let them be. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. Now watch this. You'd think like, okay, maybe that's just going to be it. But it says, as it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. So it sounds like that was the end of their troubles, but that was really just the beginning of their troubles because from that day forward, they began to hunt them down and persecute him. What he was saying is, don't cause trouble for the government to get, us, get upset with us. But when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. Now, that doesn't mean Paul was running away. It just means he had to travel. But as we read further about these people of the Ephesians church, they began to suffer more and more and more. As a matter of fact, Timothy, we talk about First and Second Timothy, he became a pastor of the church of Ephesus. He was actually preaching at a pagan parade as an older man, and they beat him, drug him through the streets, and publicly killed him for all the pagan world to see. Christianity suffered under these people for 300 years all over the Roman Empire. So this was not the beginning, I mean, not the end, this was the beginning of pagan persecution. Now think about this. When Paul is writing his letter to them. What does he say? He says, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. How many of you want to be faithful to the end? How many of you today have made a decision, I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what happens? No matter if they drag me in front of the United Center, no matter if my mother and father get stoned in front of me, no matter what job they take away from me, I'm going to live for Jesus. How many want to do that? That's what it takes in some places to live for Jesus. As a matter of fact, what they do in the Islamic countries, and that the persecution is the heaviest right now, is they start by killing the children in front of the parents. That's how they want to break them of their Christian faith. They'll rape their daughters right in front of them. Some of the people that I know that have served in our military, I never ask them to tell me their stories, but from time to time, they'll pull me aside and want to share some of the things that they've had to deal with, some of the things that they've had to watch as they get prepared. My nephew was a Marine, and he lost his life in Afghanistan, and he called up my mother, which was his grandmother, saying the videos that they're sharing me to desensitize me of the enemy just scare me, you know, pray for me. Because they were having to watch the things that these uh, animals do to Christians and to their enemies, those that they fight. And so it was no different in that pagan world. They would kill the children first and let the parents watch their children be violated. Then they would come for the wives.
life. If you read the stories even of modern times, of like those who were caught in communist countries, we have here a, a brother that's Romanian, and his family testifies to the Romanian persecution that happened when the communists uh, came in charge. And you can wa uh, read the book, Tortured for Christ, and how they took this pastor and they put him into jail, and they didn't want to kill him necessarily. They wanted to turn him towards communism, so they started brainwashing him and trying to uh, mentally torture to break him. And what they would put into his jail cell would be loud uh, speakers that would tell him, your family has forsaken you and joined communism. Your church is now a place for communism recruitment. You are the only one holding on to the myths of Christianity. Your God is dead. If your God was alive, he would help you. And they would play this mind control music, uh, these, these sounds to him over and over and over again. Even at different times, they would bring in the different pastors that he had knew that had turned communist, and they would bring him in, to bring that pastor in to tell him, look at what my life is like now. I've joined the communist party. I'm able to be back home with my family. They would have a meal set before him and say, all you have to do, they starved him for weeks, and they would say, all you have to do is just join the communist party, and you can eat with me. We'll have your family waiting for you, and all of those things. And it was a lie, of course. His family had not changed their mind for Jesus. They were still serving God. But he said in those dark prison cells, he was in Siberia and one time, he said in those dark prison cells, he couldn't see the sun anymore. He was malnourished. He was losing his mind. All He, he couldn't remember scriptures anymore. He couldn't remember uh, the, the stories he used to tell. All he could sing to himself was just a song that he had made up, that the flames of Jesus' love have set my heart on fire. That's all he could say to himself as he paced around because they would throw cold water on him and not let him rest during the day and make him stand during the day, and they would throw cold water. You see, I could keep you here all day with the stories of the persecuted church. I could tell you the stories of two Iranian girls who were captured in Iran, not because they wanted to make YouTube videos about makeup or because they wanted to go to a Little Wayne concert, but because they had got saved as teenagers and they wanted to help their country come to know Jesus. And so they started distributing Bibles to the workers of the little markets of the place they lived in Tehran. And as they were doing it, the police heard about them and started to think that there must be hundreds of Christians infiltrating these people with this information because these two young girls were distributing thousands of Bibles. By the time they found out it was two girls, they raided their apartment. They brought them into jail and tortured them. They thought they were going to die, but God miraculously spared their lives. See, it doesn't matter who you are. God will make you brave unto death. God is with you. Don't be scared when he's around you. Amen? Let's look at some of these things that make the, the word faithful stand out in the Bible. When we look at the Greek word faith, it's pistis, which means faithful, assurance, trust. That root word is used in other places, such as the word faithful, obviously, and it's also the root word of the, the word believe, pistio. Pistio and pistos are the root word of the word, the faith, pistis. And here's Paul's usage of it. Paul uses it 12 times in the positive in Ephesians and 230 times and his 13 epistles, and faith alone, just that word, is the most used 142 times. Do you think faith was important for Paul to explain it to us? Why do you think it was so important for Paul to mention faith to us 230 times? 
because it's not about your works. Good works follow the faith that you put in Jesus. Before you will ever do something good, you must put your faith in the good one, Jesus Christ. Before you can ever be changed, you will never change yourself. You must put your faith in the one that came to change you. You're not saved by works. That is the important passage of Paul in Ephesians. We are saved by faith through gra- uh, by grace through faith. Amen. Here are the times that he says it just in the book of Ephesians. And let's see if we can get a lesson here about faith just simply by reading the times that he uses these words. We've already read the first one, the faithful in Christ Jesus in verse 1. Here in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and what? And believed in him were what? Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When were you sealed with the promised Holy Spirit? When you believed. How many believed today? Come on, verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, he says, I haven't stopped praying for you. Verse 19 of chapter 1, in and his incomparable great power for us who, who does God reveal his incomparable power to, to those who Believe that is the same mighty power that he used when he raised Jesus from the dead. Here is that famous passage that I was just reading, uh, quoting from before. For it is by grace. Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, some people right here uh, like to say that faith is a gift in the same way that salvation is a gift. But I disagree in this one sense. Faith is not something that is forced upon you. Faith is something that you choose to have or not have. So the difference between you and an unbeliever today is not God's sovereignty. Sometimes other Christians will tell you that the reason why there are some that are going to hell is because God has overlooked them, and those who are going to heaven, Jesus said, come here, I'll give you the gift of faith. And so they think that that kind of predestination is how it works, as God is picking and choosing who goes in and who who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is very clear that faith comes from the volition of the person to trust in Jesus. And if it is to be considered a gift, at the very least, it is a gift that can be resisted. It is not an irresistible grace. God doesn't put a hook in your mouth and draw you in and you can't resist. Faith is a choice. How many have made the choice to have faith? Now, in comparison to works, faith is not a work. So sometimes the, the, the Christian who believes that God gives you faith and that's the only way to look at it, otherwise you take credit for salvation, that is not true. The Bible gives us what the works of the law are, and that's trying to do it according to the Mosaic law and earn your salvation. Faith is never considered to be a work of the law. It stands in contradiction to it. It is a trust in who Jesus is. Imagine me and my children standing at our stairs, and I've done this on Facebook before. It's a good example. Imagine I'm uh, at the top, and they're down there at the bottom. Let's say there's 10 stairs that separate me from them. I'm at the top. They're at the bottom. And I say to them, here are the rules. You've got to get up to where I am, but here's the thing. You can't use your feet or your hands or any other piece of equipment in this room, but it can be done, ready, set, go. Now, what do you think my kids do? They go back first, they try to get a running start, and they try to leap all the way there, but they only get about two or three steps, right? 
The next thing they try to do is almost make like a human ladder, clink, 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 and then go. But I said, you can't use anybody else, you know. Then they try to be slick and go up the railing. And I said, you can't use anything else. Nothing in this room can you use. But it can be done. And then you sit there for a long time. And this live Facebook video literally was like a half hour. I didn't know how long it would take them to get it because I had learned it from another pastor. But eventually, the older one got it. She goes, can I ask you to pick me up and carry me. And I said, yes, you can. I'll come down and get you. See, that's salvation. You can't do anything to get up to God. There is no good work that can get you there. Imagine those steps being an endless amount of steps to heaven. It is impossible for you to go from here to heaven. There has never been a person that's able to do that, to earn their salvation. Jesus Christ is the only perfect Lamb of God, born perfect, lived perfect. But Jesus now is at the top of the stairs, paid the penalty for your sins, and he said to you, if you ask me, if you trust me, I'll bring you to where I am. Didn't he say that? Where I am, you may be also. He said, put your faith in me. Trust me. You believe in God, good. Put, believe also in me. That's what he taught us. And so this is what salvation is. Okay, now in chapter 3, verse two, uh, 12, in whom we have great boldness and access with confidence through our faith. Everybody say faith. How is it you can come before God with boldness right now and go, I know God hears me when I pray, and I know there's an access way to, to come to him. I am confident of this through your what? Your faith in him. You notice in him there, your faith in him. Faith doesn't deserve to be heard, but when you put your faith in him, the Father always hears what Jesus says. So you pray to Jesus, the Father hears what Jesus says. Are you listening? No man can get to the Father except by Jesus. You can't have boldness and access to the Father by Saint Mary or, or by Mary or another saint. You can't have it even by a pastor. The only way you can have boldness and access and confidence is through your faith in Jesus. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Through faith, that you be grounded and rooted in love. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Here faith is being used of in the general sense of our Christian faith, in our Christian faith, until we all attain unity of the what? The faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. How many like learning about God? You're not bored yet, are you? To mature to manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 6.16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one you ever feel like you're getting attacked with temptation all the time feel like maybe that there's some tests that you're going through how do your tests become your testimony the shield of faith and then you pull out the sword of the spirit and you knock out that devil that's what the bible says your faith in god will block the fiery darts of the enemy but don't you get scared when you get tempted? Don't you get off base a little bit? I know I do. It's, it's because the, the, the temptation is actually testing your faith, isn't it? So the very thing you're trying to use to hold up against the test is the very thing being attacked, literally like darts going against a shield. And you're sitting here going, I don't know how much I can take. But this is what God says. God says that his word will never fail. He said he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so when you trust him, despite what you see, despite what you feel, the shield of faith will protect you and distinguish how many of the flaming darts of the evil one? All, A-L-L, all. What does that mean in the Greek? All. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I just learned some Greek. I, I, I guarantee you that's what it means in the Greek. 
so that you may also know how I am, what I am doing. Now watch this right here. The only name mentioned other than Paul in the whole book of Ephesians is this great brother here, that you'll know how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and what? Faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. How many of you want to go to a church with faithful ministers? Pray for me to keep the faith until the end. Amen? I pray for you that you will keep the faith until the end. May it be said about us, we were faithful ministers. And then look here at the second to the last verse of the, the book of Ephesians 6.23. Peace be to the brothers in love with what? Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you want to be faithful like how they were faithful? There are no favorites with God. There's nobody here that doesn't have the same opportunity that these people of Ephesus had. As a matter of fact, if we're going to be honest, they probably had it a little bit harder than us. I haven't remembered being thrown into a stadium lately wondering if I was going to be killed. I haven't watched my pastor go to jail yet for Jesus. Because where's Paul writing the book of Ephesians? from jail locked up they won't let me out no no they won't let he went there I know I know you're like my pastor goes there why does he do that just love me my brother love me I try no, I'm kidding how many know if you're locked up for serving Jesus that's going to test your faith but isn't it amazing when we look to the Bible just go to Ephesians chapter 3 real quick look at Ephesians chapter 3 for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Look at that. He's a prisoner. And then here in chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling that you receive. If there was anybody that could complain and tell us to quit or say, hey, man, this ain't working out right. I don't think Jesus is real. I expected him to come back by now. Run, run, run. Get out of this. No. What's he saying? Look at me as a prisoner, and now I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. Shouldn't we look at these men and women of this church as our examples? And so here's what I want you to do as we get ready to close out. I'm not going to keep you very long, but I want you to think about this. Faith versus works versus an irresistible force. Everybody get me here. I, I talked about this with the elders and deacons yesterday. I think it will go even better right now if I have uh, Vinny on the keys. Can you just tickle those keys, please? It just kind of like brings me to a like spiritual moment. I get all spiritual. Let me just bring this to you the way I brought it to our leadership. Last um, Saturday of every month, our elders and deacons get together, 44 loving Jesus right now. I thank God for every man and woman that's serving the Lord with us here. 23 baptized last Sunday. It's a growing church. Amen. Are you excited? Two services. God is doing it. The, the Wednesday Kings kids had 73. It was amazing. Two youth Bible studies. One uh, had 11. The other one out here had like 26, 37 combined. Youth group had over uh, around 50, and they had people out in Mardi Gras. I mean, God is moving in this church. Uh, the Vivitz Life Group had 20 people in their home Bible study Friday, blowing it up. God is doing this. But I want you all to get this, because we'll fall into one of these three categories when we think about serving God, and only one of them is right, and that's faith. Okay, so let me just build this up real quick. Some of you will think faith is a work, and you'll miss the beauty of resting in God, trusting him for what he can only do. You will keep trying to run up those stairs, and, and you'll never make it. And you'll wonder why others are so much more blessed in the sense of, like, not stressed out. And you're thinking it's because they're doing, doing, doing more. But the truth is they're just being, being, being more. They're just being faithful to the call. They're not doing things to make themselves faithful. It's out of being faithful that they do faithful things. See, when I am 
in love, when I be in love with my wife, I do things out of love for my wife. Do you, do you get the difference? I don't start doing things to try to love her more. If I'm not loving her more, yeah, there's some actions that I may need to take, but the real issue is a heart issue. Why have I changed here? God changed my heart. And there's an old song that used to go like that. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. You don't have to follow me, but I'm trying. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, and I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. See, that's where it starts. It starts here. Being in love with Jesus results in doing things for Jesus. I've been to 12 Mardi Gras not to earn my way into salvation, but because I am saved and I'm so appreciative of it, I want to tell the world. I want the whole world to know. So some of you may think of faith, instead of it being a trust, like a trust fall, like boom, into the arms of God, you're thinking of it like a work. I got to read my Bible more to please God more. And reading your Bible is awesome and God is pleased by it. But if you don't have faith, the kind of faith that trusts him, it doesn't matter how much you read your Bible, you're in a gerbil wheel going around and around and around and no transformation is happening because it's dead works religion. And the letter kills, the Bible says. Just the law by itself kills. But the spirit gives life, okay? Then there's others of you who you may say, well, okay, I don't see it like a work, like something I have to do, but I see it like an irresistible force. Like if God's going to change me, God will change me just all by himself. Only God can do it. When the good Lord is ready, he'll change me. When God is ready, he'll change me. I know when I'll be ready because God will make me ready. And you're getting this idea that being changed is somehow literally like God showing up at your house, kidnapping you, putting you in that windowless van, dragging you off to church, and then getting you here and zapping you. And you're like, "Woo! praise the Lord, I want to do this now. So you have to see there is a difference of thought that will follow you as you go through life. Now let me make it real plain. Let me make it real plain right here. Whenever I tell my testimony to people, that are in a works or irresistible mindset, they argue with me instead of saying amen and making it personal. So I was at my bike shop the other day, and the guy's expecting his first kid, and I'm like, dude, that is so awesome. I love babies. We just had our fifth. We keep making them. And this is what he says back to me. This is what he says back. He goes, you are the first father I have ever heard say that. Okay? So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give him word to have faith in. I'm going to give him word to have faith because you got to put your faith in God's word. Okay, so I'm going to give him word to put his faith in. And I go, you know what? God changed my heart. He made me love my wife and kids. Me being out at the bar every night would be a nightmare for me. You keep me away from my kids. That would be a nightmare. Nothing wrong with a guy's night out, but that consistently would just be torture. And I remember going on mission trips with some of my fellow pastor friends, and they would literally, because that, back in that day you didn't have pictures on your phone, they would literally have the little frame picture, the little stand that would kick out right on their hotel, you know, uh, the counter there, uh, their nightstand. And I was just like, dude, you are just so whooped. What is wrong with you? Like, this is like a mission trip. We don't need to think about wife and kids. You got me on that, huh? That's nice, man. You got me. I love you. But oh my goodness, you don't even know, man, you don't even know me. 
The moment I, because we had phones by then, you know, the moment I had Bethany, I'm, I am just in the airport. Just, I haven't even taken off yet. I haven't landed in the other place. I am already looking at the videos, tears coming down my eyes. I'm like, oh, Lord, oh, I want to be home with I want to be. I'm, I'm telling you, it, it didn't even last an hour, and I was already just weeping, weeping, okay? Okay, so follow me here, right? So we, we know, we know that we need to think about faith the right way because I love my wife. I love my kids. It is a choice. It is not something that people force on me. So let me make it real plain. This, this guy hears what I say back, and then what does he say? I say, I love kids. God help me love kids. What does he say? I'm just not like that. I'm just not like that. And then if I had more time, because I've heard it before, even with people in this church, they then will start comparing my life to their life and go, oh, well, Joe, you like kids because you were an only child growing up, and now you want to have a lot of brothers and sisters. But I grew up with a lot of brothers and sisters. I got sick of having kids all around. And, you know, and they'll just do this thing. Or they'll say, Joe, you love being a dad because you work from your home, and it's really easy for you. But you don't understand. I got to work 10 hours on a manual labor job. I come back home, and I just don't want kids around. Do you get what I'm saying? They start to miss the point. The point isn't that in my strength I became a great dad. I did it by faith through grace. And it wasn't a work. I didn't work up to it, and God didn't force it on me. God worked it in me. God worked it in me. He transformed my heart to the faithful in Christ Jesus. When I got in Christ Jesus, things changed and got out of me, and the right things got in me. And as long as I stay in him, I get the right attitude, the transformation. Yes, there is a cooperation, but I take no credit for it. I take no credit for it. I just choose to stay with him, to walk with him, to not turn my back on him. And when I'm weak, he gives me strength. And yes, there are times you doubt and you get afraid. But the idea is you stay with faith. You stay with it. You say, Lord, I won't give up. And even though I fall, even though I make mistakes, I'm, I want to stay with you. And so the Bible talks about this when it talks about Abraham. And I don't have time to get into the story, but it's all here in the notes. And it says, what does Scripture say? Was Abraham justified by works? Did he have something to boast about? No. What does it say? Abraham believed God, and it was what? Credited to him as righteousness. That means he did the right thing by simply believing in God. It wasn't by his works. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited, but as a gift, not as a gift, but it's an obligation. And here's the thing. If you get faith messed up, you'll think God owes you something. But it's not an obligation. God is doing it in his time, his way as a gift. So not everything is done what you through the way you want it to be done. Just because you prayed once and it doesn't work doesn't mean now you quit on God. Faith is a relationship of you trusting him. It says, however, to the one who does not work, but what trusts God. Everybody say, but trust God. Come on, who does not work, but trust God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And it starts with salvation and forgiveness, and it moves through every part of your life. How do you get forgiven? By doing a bunch of good works? No, you trust in Jesus and the cross. How do you become a great dad? By doing a bunch of good works? No, you trust in Jesus and the word that he's putting in your heart to be the husband, the father that he's called you to be. How do you leave out of this place doing good works? By faith through grace. That's how it starts. That's the righteousness of God. 
It says David says the same thing when he speaks about the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. You see, you have to understand whether it be works or an irresistible force, a mindset that you have wrong. It is not me just waiting for God to wiggle my arms and make me do all the right things like a little puppet. And it's not me putting in all of this self-effort. It is a thing unto itself, a place of trust. It's literally a place of trust. Let me just give it to you one more time before we close out of here. If I said, let's do a trust fall, I'm going to push you and make you do this. Does that really teach you to trust me? No, that's the wrong mindset. That's like an irresistible force. And we would do that sometimes with our college groups. We would go rock climbing, and there's that part where you have to do the little, like, rappel. And there's always, like, those, those guys that were real tough, and they were real tough, you know, before we got there. And then they're looking down 100 feet, and they're, like, you know, they're, you know, they're soiling themselves, you know. They're getting a little wets in their pants, you know. And, and then, and, and it's Jack, you just want to be like, this is Sparta, go. And you just want to kick them off. But they learn no lesson that way. They learn no lesson. Go, you know. You have to like talk to them. You can do this. You can do this. You have literally watched 20 people do this. You can do this. And then sometimes we'll have two set up. You'll have like the guy right next to him like, here I am. I'm doing this. You know, you can do this. But, but they sometimes want, what do they want? Just push me. Just push me. Just knock me down. Knock me down. It's like, no, this is not an irresistible force. This is, this is a trust. You learn this. And then, and then what's the other thing they're going to do? Well, I'm going to work my way up. I'm going to work my way up. You know, no, it's not that either. You just, it's a trust. God has got my back. The rope's got my back. Amen. Oh, how many want to go on a, a trip with Jesus and do it his way? A lifelong journey with Jesus. Oh, I just want you to be faithful. Can I show you this in closing? I don't know if I've said closing yet, but here it is now. Here's this chart. I just want to show you. It's so simple. When we are in Christ... Faith is coming through the word of God, and we are the faithful. We are in him through the simple act of trust. If we get out of being with him and we say, I don't want to do this anymore, we step into in, uh, unbelief, we come out of him. Now, I don't believe every day of your life you're like, I'm in, in Jesus, now I'm not, and you have to get baptized like 20 times a week. No, I'm not saying that at all, but the mindset first starts with, am I following what he says? Am I in his will or am I out of his will? And then those who consistently stay out of God's will, the Bible says in Hebrews that they can walk away. I do believe that. But it's not going to be an accident. You're not going to accidentally like, oh, I wandered away. And I don't know where Jesus is. I was in him. Now I'm out of him. What happened? Those who do what Judas did know what they're doing. And, and sadly, I believe I was like this as a teenager. I, I really think that I knew Jesus when I was a young person growing up, and I really made a conscious choice to not live for Jesus. I think I would have died and went to hell. But thankfully, God was gracious. He brought me back, okay? So this is not sin. It's not like a sin is going to bring me out of Jesus. But continual unrepentant sin hardens the heart and leads to unbelief, okay? I came in through faith. I leave through unbelief. It's that simple. You all getting this? Now, where are you going to be tomorrow? Are you going to be in him? Then be faithful, right? Next month, where are you going to be? In him? Be faithful. 
Look at what Romans said, another letter by Paul. Look at how he explained why some Jews were getting out and some Gentiles and pagans were getting in. Because that's very simple, uh, similar to what happened in Ephesus. Jews who were supposed to be the faithful ones, they're saying, I'm getting out of Dodge. I don't want to serve Jesus. And then the pagans who were doing temple prostitution, having all this witchcraft stuff, says, I'm getting in. So some were going out and some were going in. Do you ever notice that in church? Sometimes you'll bring a friend, she'll say, or he'll say, I'm not coming back. And you'll be like, I'm still coming. Or sometimes even a husband and wife, I don't want to serve God. Well, I am, son or daughter with their parents. I don't want to serve God. I do. The Bible says there is a division that comes through serving Jesus. Look at what Paul said in Romans eleven twenty. Granted, but they were broken off. He's using an illustration here of, of like a vine or an olive branch here. He says, granted, they were broken off because of what? Because of unbelief. Why were they broken off? Because of unbelief. And you stand by what? Okay, they were broken off because of and you stand by, okay, thank you, but don't be arrogant, but what? Tremble, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. Consider, everybody say, I'm going to consider this. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Kindness and what? Sternness, thank you. Should we only talk about the kindness? Should we only talk about the sternness? Talk about both. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you'll be what? Cut off. And if they don't persist in unbelief, they will be what? Grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Let's just be honest before we go today. Are you in him or out of him? Stay in him. If you are out of him, come back in. Can I get a hand clap for Jesus today? Come on, let's do it. Would you stand up to your feet? Let's end in an attitude of prayer. Thank you for your time today. Band, would you come, please? Lord, we want to be faithful so that you can make us fruitful. We can't do it on our own, God. It is our choice, but we need your grace. We need your grace, oh God. You are the one who saves. You are the one who transforms. You are the one who gives us a new life and a new mindset through your word, oh God. And so today, we trust you. Just in an attitude of prayer, you don't have to close your eyes, but that helps me not to be distracted. But in an attitude of prayer, would you look at your heart and first examine to whether or not you are in him, faithful or out of him. You heard a great gospel message through my wife, but maybe even right now, you're still at that point of decision. Don't leave until you decide to be in him. How do you do that? You confess with your mouth, Jesus, you're my Lord. You died for me. I believe it. You raised again from the dead. You're coming back. And then you, you can repent freely of the sins you did without any guilt or shame. You can say, Lord, you know my sins already. I won't hide them. Forgive me. Forgive me for what I've done as an unbeliever, as a disobedient person. Those of you today who would say, I've already done that. I'm, I'm sure that I am saved. Would you now look at your heart and see if there's any things that you're doing in unbelief? Yes, you are a Christian. I'm not here to have you question that. But as a Christian, are you walking in areas of your life with unbelief? You haven't surrendered 
the area of your sexuality or the area of your marriage, you're fighting, you're not getting along, or your education, you're not giving it the best that you should, and you're slacking, and God says he'll give you strength, but you're not taking him at his word, you're wasting time. Come on. There will be good works to follow your faith. The Bible says your good works will demonstrate your inner faith. But right now, we're going to check the heart, the heart of faith or unbelief in these areas of our life. And if you sense God speaking to you, putting his finger on some of those areas, would you just slip up your hands and surrender them to God? God, I surrender my marriage to you. I surrender a dating relationship to you. I surrender my relationship with my kids to you. I'm going to lead them your way. Or, or as a child, a teenager, God, I surrender my parents to you. I'm not going to be rebellious. I'm going to do it your way. I trust you. It's not going to come by my good works, God. It's going to come by you. So I'm letting go and letting you take over. And now you show me the good works. Come on, as you're praying it through, say, Lord, show me the good works that you created me to do. Give me the strength by your grace to do them from a place of faith. Was walking on water a good work with, Paul, uh, with Peter? Yes. How did he do it? By works? Was he drug out of the boat? Irresistible force? How did he walk on water with Jesus? Faith. But he had to be willing to move, didn't he? He had to be willing to move. Faith is an action. It takes trust, Right? few more moments right now. God, I'm believing what you said. Many of you here today can do this. Now, lastly, all of us say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I want to stand in your grace. God, I don't want to leave this place. Never. Even though I walk out of a building called church, I don't ever want to leave fellowship with you. Yes. Everywhere I go, I want to be one with you, one with my, my Lord and Savior, yes. walking and talking with Jesus. Altar workers, would you come, please? As we get ready to sing a song in closing, we're going to sing a song that says, Lord, I trust you and help my unbelief. You know, come on. You may be struggling with faith and unbelief today. It's okay. We've all been there. All of us have. You know, a philosopher once said, doubt your doubts. And that may sound funny, but I am so serious. Do that one day when you're just freaking out. Just go, oh, man, I doubt that. It will, like, mess with your own head, I'm telling you. It messes with me even because you'll be wondering, like, man, I wonder what happens with this, with that. I wonder if I have enough money for this. And then you just stop yourself and go, man, I doubt any of that stuff will happen. <laughs> and then you're like, well, yeah, because I don't even know if that's going to happen. Why should I believe that? Don't trust your doubts. Doubt your doubts. And then find out what God's word is. But these prayer workers will be here in just a moment to pray with anyone that needs help knowing God's word or a prayer for those who may be sick today. You heard about disciples speaking in tongues and prophesying spiritual gifts. If you would like to participate in spiritual gifts, they can teach you how to receive those from the Lord, just like those disciples did with Paul. But before we go, let's put up these words, and let's get ready to sing this song. I'll dismiss in just a moment. Let faith arise. In spite of what I see, Lord, I believe. Would you sing it out today? Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I choose. I choose you see that? I got to choose to trust you today, God. No matter what I feel, let faith arise. Come on, let's sing that part one more time. There's some power in that verse. Let's sing it again. Let faith. Let faith arise. In spite of what I see, Lord. 
feel a sense of encouragement. Let's sing the next part. Come on. Let faith arise. It's okay to feel good in church. We don't go on feelings, but it's okay. Let God bless you today. Oh, he's alive, my friends. He already knows my every need. Surely I believe it. He will come. Surely he will come and rescue me. We sing, God of miracles, come. We need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. Would you look up at me, please, before we go? The Bible says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. We put our faith in the love of God. That's what you're putting your faith in. You're not just throwing a quarter into a wishing well today. You're not just wishing upon a star. You're just not having a positive mental attitude. You are trusting the God who created you because you believe he loves you. Whenever you and I struggle with unbelief, the biggest issue is not a head one, it's a heart one, because we're doubting, does he really love us? Imagine being Paul in that jail cell. Imagine, and Paul could do what? Paul could say, oh man, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know, man. Look what's happened since I started following him. I've lost my friends. I've lost my family. I'm locked up, man. I'm all by myself. He, he could have let that just overcome him. But instead, what does he say? He says in his letter, he says, we are rooted and grounded in the love of God. And he says, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you would know the height, the depth, the width, the love of God, which is beyond our own imagination. He understood what it was like to be captivated by the love of God. And so my dismissal prayer as we get ready to go is that, Lord, you would capture our hearts with your love. Just sing that out real quick. Oh, capture my heart with your love. Just come on before we go. Capture, oh, capture my heart with your love. Just a few moments before we go. Come on, capture. Capture my heart with your love. Can you sing it a few more times? Say so. Capture my heart with your One more time. Capture my heart. Capture my heart with your love. Lord, bless us as we go. Capture.
rapture our hearts with your love so we can be faithful. If you believe it one more time, give God a hand, clap of praise in the house of God. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. You are dismissed. Have a great week. We will see you at Life Groups. If you need prayer for anything, come on up or just worship. Capture my heart. Oh, yes, sir.